It's time to ignite your soul and unlock your full potential. Join us on Beneath the Helmet, the podcast exploring firefighters' health and wellness. Hosted by retired fire chief Arjuna George, our podcast is the perfect place to start your journey towards becoming the best version of yourself. So come on, let's join the conversation and find out what sets your soul on fire. All right, welcome back. This is episode number six, and I am joined today with a very special guest of mine, a good friend, a mentor of mine, Fire Chief Les Carpluck. I've known Chief Carpluck for several decades now, consider him a close friend and a true mentor for myself, as well as the fire service across North America. Chief Carpluck is well known across Canada, USA for his books and his leadership keynotes. In this episode, Chief talks about his own burnout journey and the long process of recovery. Chief Carpluck also talks about his number one leadership nugget for us all to remember and to embrace. Chief shares some very personal stories. He's extremely honest and open about his whole experience in the fire service, both good and bad. Les is a real genuine leader and one we can all learn from. So sit back and enjoy this awesome episode with Fire Chief Les Carpluck. This podcast is sponsored by Silver Arrow Coaching and Consulting. Custom coaching services for those high-performing leaders, helping them prevent burnout and become more resilient leaders. For more information on how Silver Arrow Coaching can support you in your burnout, visit silverarrowco.com. That's www.silverarrowco.com. My first book, Burnt Around the Edges, may also be of interest to you. You can purchase that online at burntaroundtheedges.com or on Amazon, Google, or Apple this book is a story of my burnout journey and mastering stress. So please enjoy this episode with my friend, Fire Chief Les Carpluck. Until next time, stay well. I'll call you Les, I'll call you Chief. I'll call you Chief Carpluck. Tell us a little bit about your story, your life, what's brought you from when you were a child up till now. I started my career in Prince Albert when I was 19 years old. Graduated high school in 1981 and 1982 was into this profession. Wow. And I've been stuck in it ever since. Stuck in a good way. So the department that, that I spent 32 years in, it's a great department here in Prince Albert, a great department. And then I just, everybody else, you're there and then you worked my way up through the ranks and uh, the last eight and a half years of basically running the department as a chief. Did you join as a volunteer or did you join as a career? No, as a career. As a career. Yeah, as a career. And I look back on that and I'm going, wow, 19, who does that? Back in 1982, things were a lot different than they were today. Doesn't sound too boring. What's the difference between the organization you're in right now compared to your previous, most of your career differences? Because it's a park, anything different there? Yeah, big difference. So 32 years now full-time crew department. And since 2018, it's going to be five. This is my sixth year there. It's paid on call. So completely different, completely different. And I'm well aware of the retention and recruitment issues that you have in the volunteer sector versus you get hired in the career department and you're there, you get your paycheck every weeks and you your thing and work your way up in your career and you decide where you want to go in your career. Versus that pay don't call aspect where the challenge is really is recruiting people and keeping them. So that's been the last five years and done a lot of consulting across Canada as well, doing math 
plans and strategic plans with fire departments. And so I've done several on my own and I also work with a company out of Ontario that they do fire master plans all across Canada. Did you find yourself having to change or tweak your leadership style going from a career department to being on call? I'll be honest. No, when I applied for that, I was pretty nervous, to be honest with you, because that was one of, one of my fears was how do I lead that volunteer sector that I've never really, was never exposed to in my career. So I was nervous, but people are people. And... It was arms wide open from day one with them. It's absolutely awesome. I, you know, and I use this term, I don't want to sound silly when I use this term, but I say, I love it out there. It's because the people I get the privilege to work with, they're just amazing people that want to serve their community. They're always willing to do something, always willing to work, always happy. It was a really good change for me to be exposed to that component, that part of the fire service. And yeah, fit into that hook, line, and sinker because the majority of the apartments in Canada are paying on call or volunteer. So, and so I absolutely love it. It's the recruitment and retention thing is a challenge though. The numbers are down across Canada and it's a definite challenge to make sure that you can have those bodies, and especially in the national park. During the wintertime, the population out there is like minimal. And during the summertime, it's crazy. It's a little city out there. So there's different stress levels as well. I thought I was done that when I retired from the career aspect. A long weekend, and during the summertime, you've got 7,000 people out there, and, and we're running one truck. So, yeah, I don't get much sleep during the summertime because I'm always wondering and worried about what can happen. But, yeah, especially um, out in the middle of nowhere and in a park setting. That's a wildfire. Well, and our near backup is half hour away. So... We do what we can to prepare and we're just, I guess, lack of a better term is you hope nothing bad happens. Yeah. You, all you can do is prepare and be ready for it. That's all we can do. Yeah. That's all we can do. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That would be an interesting dynamic going from a career department to paid on call out in the woods. That's at a park setting. No, no resources. Everything was different. Yeah. Everything was different. Thing that I can say that there was consistency in was they had firefighters out there. <laughs> that everything's different. It's yeah. just the dynamics are completely different. But it's been great. It's been great. I love it. Good. I'm very fortunate to get work to work with some amazing people out there, and it's I'm lucky. I'm lucky to be able to work with some amazing people out there. That's pretty fortunate to be able to say that that you're lucky to be out there. So you yeah, found yeah. it. You found it. Good job. No one. You started at 19. Long career. Very long career. We've talked about this before that you reached a point of burnout. Oh, yeah. what, what was going through your mind and what were you feeling when you started to realize that? Oh boy. Oh, that was tough. That was tough. Yeah, the, there, I was definitely at my emotional and mental end. So when I retired, I didn't retire a happy fire chief. Well, I'll be honest with you. I'm not trying to be come up with a downer on this, but reality was at the end, I was burned out. I was done. There was nothing left in the gas tank. And it wasn't something that just happened overnight. It was a compilation of over time. Probably say the last, I'm looking back and then maybe the last two and a half, three years, but I think it was a compilation of a lot of little things like a death by a thousand cuts. And I don't, honestly, I don't wish that on anybody because 
there was nothing left there for from entering into the profession and working with these amazing people that I worked with and having that passion, everything. And it was when the passion was gone, it was like, like a part of my soul died. It's good way to put it. Yeah. It was like there, it was when I said that tank was empty, I mean, that tank was empty. There was nothing left. I think of the best way I can categorize it is it was a very dark and lonely place to be. And that's why I always tell people, and I used to tell people a lot about it. And I think that was a part of my healing process to get over it. But I really haven't had any heart-to-heart conversations about it with people the last probably three or four years. So there just was no need. There's no need to for me. But I think when I was early after retired, talking about it, trying to figure out what happened, it was a long process. I, and this I this I do know. It took me about eighteen months to two two years to actually start feeling good about myself. And when I say that, I, I mean it in a way of I actually believing I could do things again and having confidence and being mentally strong, for lack of a better term, and focused again. So after I retired in 2014, I would probably say 2016, it was still a, still a journey for me to heal and to actually try to figure out what the heck went wrong. Totally. And I don't know if I have the answers to that because I've talked to different people and, and it's just my story, but other people have their story, but there's a lot of pressure on, on career chiefs today. And I just, I wish I could say that I was one of the guys that, oh no, I had the happy ending and happy retirement and I retired and it was a two thumbs up and everything. I was so far from the truth, man. Like I, there was a lot of tear sheds. There was a lot of, a lot of sleepless nights just trying to figure out what went wrong. And when I say what went wrong is what happened to my passion, what happened to the love of the profession that I used to have. And for going through that process, I was looking for answers, but I also knew that. So what I did know is because at that time I was doing some consulting and some leadership training. What really kept me grounded was doing my leadership seminars and meeting people and seeing their passion and their excitement. So they actually gave me hope. I was there to do a thing on leadership for eight hours, but they actually gave me hope because they took the time out of their day. And usually it was on the weekend and to sit in a seminar I was giving. And so they gave me hope because they were passionate. They wanted to be there to learn. They wanted to become better. And for me was that little light bulb that kind of went, okay, that, that there's hope, there's hope. I can heal completely. I can get through this. And I don't know if that sounds crazy, but it's, yeah. So that was the path for me. Yeah, it doesn't sound crazy at all. I think hope is one of the key things for burnout recovery, right? It's like you're in this dark hole, like you said, feel isolated, alone, and hope is pretty much the only thing we can grasp onto and get us out of that hole. I'd probably say this, that was probably the only thing I could grasp onto. My my last year, and I don't want to come across as I'm complaining or I'm angry about the past. I'm past that, so far past that. I'm not complaining. I'm not angry about the past. I'm not mad about myself. I'm not dealing with situations different. I'm just, I'm past that. When I say that is, I say because we're human. 
we're human. And we're not always going to have the right answers. We're going to make some wrong decisions. We're going to feel guilty about some of the decisions, all that stuff. I think that's just a, all part about being a leader, part of being a fire chief. I, my, my last year, it was tough, man. It was a medication. I was heavily medicated. When I say heavily medicated, I had ulcers. I had back pain. I had, couldn't sleep at night. And if I had four hours sleep at night, that was a good night. I was ready to do the happy dance. You, the human body, and I'm not a doctor. This is all I'm speaking from my own experience and some of the reading I've done. The human body cannot function like that. We are not designed to be like that. Maybe short term, but not a year, not 18 months. It's, it's going to catch up and something's going to break. Definitely not sustainable. No, it's short, not. Short time stress, that, um, that's one thing, but. Exactly. When it turns chronic and over years and years, then yeah, it's a challenge if you're in the fire service for 30 years, 30 years of stress, it's not going to unwind in 30 hours, 30 days could take years to unwind that stress. And I wasn't, I wasn't exaggerating. I said it took months to two years for me to start feeling a person again. And really? one of the things that helped, so everybody has their different things, but for me, it was to get back into the gym. Go and have workouts four or five days a week. And even today, when people say, Oh, you look like I'm the old guy in the gym, they kind of, Oh, yeah, you go to the gym. I'm going, Yeah, this isn't about me coming here and this big pump and all that. No, I go there, I work out, but it's that's where it helps me mentally upstairs. And that was a big thing for me. And it allowed me to focus on something else as well, to focus on me doing things for me physically that I could mentally feel better about myself Love it. and it worked it was my path. I think people will, other people have different paths, but for me, that was my path just to get in there and have a good workout and start to feel good about myself. Looking back on it, what were some of your key indicators that you were heading towards burnout? Can you think of any of those? Of energy, angry. Let me tell you, I was angry at the littlest things. And I don't want to sound like I was a raving madman. But it didn't take much to set me off. So I didn't have a lot of patience. And I don't know if I have a lot of patience best of time. So when you take a little bit of patience and you get rid of it, that's not a good sign. <laughs> not a good sign. When I say I don't think I have a lot of patience at best times. I have high expectations of myself. So if I'm going to work on a project or do something, I'm committed. And I want that end result to be good. So I probably don't have a lot of patience with myself, with myself. Yeah. Aches and pains. Let me tell you, I don't, here's the funny thing. And I learned this after the fact, I didn't know it during it, but I had chronic back issues that I have to go to the hospital, have to be going to outpatients and get whatever injection it was to loosen everything up because. I would be twisted up like a pretzel like three or four times a year. I couldn't even stand up straight. And it was probably about a year after I started doing a lot of reading on my back. And I'm going, what is wrong with my back? I've got arthritis in my back. I've got some disc issues. But that comes with the job. That comes with the job. But when your body is so tight all the time, it's going to make things tight. So if there's a weak area like my back and everything's tight and it's not relaxed, it's I, you are going to be bent up like a pretzel at times and you can't stand up. 
And the light bulb went on for me. I'm going, wow, why was that so tight? Why was that? It was the stress. It really was the stress that just took it to another level. So there was that. I realized the light bulb went on. But when I was going through, it was really the sleepless nights. He wouldn't take much to set me off. And th there came a point, and it, this is so far for me, it came a point where it was almost like I didn't care anymore. And I know that sounds really harsh, but it's the truth. It was like, like I just didn't really care about a lot of things. But do you and consider that like compassion fatigue or you didn't care about things that were even greater than that, like yourself even? It was very little I cared about. It was just, I was drained. I was empty inside. And even now, I like I'm trying to think of how to put into words. Wish I, I wish I could say that I had the words to categorize this properly, to put a medical label to it. But it was just, it, was, it felt empty. I guess it empty. I was at that point, probably the last two to three months of my career was, it was a struggle. Even getting up in the morning. Now, I always said this, and I always tell people this, is you're really passionate about something. When you wake up in the morning and your feet touch the floor, you're still on your bed and your feet touch the floor, you're ready to go. You know what you believe in, you know what your values are, you know what your goals are. My feet touched the floor when I woke up the last two, three months. I want to be anywhere else on this planet than in my office. So there was a huge disconnect there, a huge disconnect. And for someone who's so passionate as yourself, totally. that totally. is like a pretty scary feeling to feel in your body and your mind that this job, this lifestyle, this calling that we call the fire service, you didn't care about it anymore. And I can totally relate to that. And that's a scary yeah. feeling, isn't it? You know what? It was absolutely terrifying to be honest with you. It's terrifying. It was, it's not who I am and it's not who I was, but it's who I became. Yeah. And it was terrifying. And I tell people now, whether it's in a seminar or just out with the fire people, because I'm still in it, right? And I say, you know what? Or in the books I've wrote is call a friend, the phone call them. But I didn't. And a lot of the stuff that I write about is what I didn't do. Right. I, I write from the perspective of trying to plant the seed into people's minds that read my book. Go, oh, this guy said, hey, I should call a friend. I'm really hurt. It's because I didn't. And I wish I did. I wish I could have called somebody I could have trusted and bounced some ideas off. But I was, hate to say this, but it's true. I think my ego was too big for it. I didn't want anybody to know that I was in this world of pain. I don't even know how to describe it. I know what I've turned into isn't who I am. How do you describe that to somebody? But especially when you're the fire chief, there's a whole nother element of expectations that you have on yourself as well as the public has on you, your firefighters have on you, but to be vulnerable then, enough to say that is once again, a scary place to be, isn't it? It, it was terrifying. Part. And I look back and again, I, for those that watch this list, I'm not complaining. I'm here just to go, this is what I went through. And hopefully people watching this will be able to somewhere my goal is hopefully somebody will be able to watch this and listen to it and go okay i'm gonna learn some lesson from them 100 percent. because i think that's what that's my job now and i i have a better term that's where i'm at in my life is when i'm writing or when i'm doing a seminars i'll be open and transparent and and 
tell people it's what you need to do, or have you thought of doing this that may help you, but you have these expectations of yourself, which I did. I had these expectations. I was supposed to have all the answers, which now I realize, of course, that was flawed thinking that you need to make everybody in that department happy. You need to make your management team happy. You need to make city council happy. You need to make the public happy. You need to make the boss happy, but nobody made me happy. And I was so focused on trying to make all these people happy and working through all these challenges that fire chiefs have that I just didn't take the time for myself. I didn't. And that was part of the problem too. You can't just go, 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 go. We just can't. It's going to catch up to it. Sure. I, and I think that's the key message that we send out to firefighters up to the fire chief rank is self-care. If you're not taking care of yourself and it sounds so cliche and Self-care. Oh yeah. We always talk about self-care, but it's evident over and over again that we do not take care of ourselves as much as we should. And we're going to be much more effective leaders, fire chiefs, firefighters, husbands, wives, by just taking a little bit of extra care on our own well-being. That's the whole, that's my mission as well. And that's the mission of this podcast. Just keep that conversation going. Like you said, when somebody listens, watches the show. They're going to pick up a nugget here, a nugget there, just to hopefully not end up where you and I both did. It, that is absolutely my goal. I'll give you a real silly example. So the last three, four years of my career is just work, work. It was all about work because I didn't want to fall behind. You'll never get caught up. It's just not going to happen. When you're in that fire chief position, there's always going to be something come up that needs your attention. And I'm not telling, and I'm not saying don't do your job. We have to do our job, but we have to learn to separate sometimes from our job and take a time out, take a mental break from it, take an emotional break from it. And here's, here's an example. So when I'm doing my consulting now, if I'm out of the city and I'm in another city and I, let's say I fly to Vancouver Island, do some work there, I'm going for a drive. I'm going for a walk. I'm going for a walk on the beach. I'm going for a hike. I'm go. I may just sit in a coffee shop, drive and pull over in a coffee shop and sit there for an hour, have a coffee, have a little snack. It's my mental break. It's something different. And I wish I did that then when I was actually in my chief's chair. I wish I took that time to take that mental break. And maybe I'd, I'd have a different story to tell. But on the flip side, 10 years ago, was anyone talking about this? Was anyone talking about the chiefs no, working too much no, besides PTSD, no. which was still pretty new 10 years ago yeah. in conversation wise, that organizational stress burnout was just not talked about. I will say this, and I know this is your lane and I'm so appreciative of what you're doing. Honestly, I can't say it enough. I would say. This isn't something that's really been talked about in the last two or three years. No. I think where you're going with this is really going to start opening up people's eyes. Now, I know that other people have been researching this and doing it, but to hear a fire chief like yourself say that when you wrote your great book, describing what you went through and all that, that's how, when I read your book, I read on how many chapters before I put it down and I sent you a message on Facebook and going, I can't believe you went through this. I had no idea. And because I thought I'm as crazy as it sounds, I'm thinking I'm the only one that experienced this. 
Yes. The reality is we're not. Yep. We're not. And my hope is this, through what you're doing, more chiefs, more chief officers, even more firefighters will recognize when they're hurting and be more proactive in their emotional and mental health. Because the profession, I love it, but it takes its toll. It's toll. 100%. And no difference between going to a traumatic event, whether you're a paid on call firefighter, career firefighter, you do it enough and it takes its toll. Yeah. I believe that. I believe that. I would agree. And so I think what you're doing here is I think you're, it always takes that one courageous person to do something that's going to open up the floodgates. And, and I think that you are that courageous person. You wrote a book about your experience. You're doing this. And your heart's in absolutely the right place. So I'm excited about this. And so trusting in this process that I'm on a podcast with you that people are going to watch on YouTube and they're going to hear my story. Yeah, totally. And I, I thought when we booked this, oh, what if some guys from my former department, well, part of that was, oh, they're going to see, it doesn't matter anymore. It really doesn't. That's old and news. Back to the facts. And when you were, when I was emotionally and mentally, and I'd even say spiritually broken at that point, it was reality. So if somebody watches it, oh yeah, he's on whatever. It doesn't matter. The truth is that's yep. what happened. That's on the flip happened. side, it also might give them information on why you were acting the way you were acting or how reacting to different things. And oh, okay. Putting the puzzle together, understanding. I, less a little bit better i never even thought of that you know city and that's a possibility as well so it, it's no different when when we write our books and i never thought i'd be involved in writing five books but here i am and the more that i write the more that i feel more comfortable in the process the more that i feel more comfortable being open and transparent and the more that i have a clear focus where i want to go with a specific right. book or topic and a lot of it is, not a lot of it, it's all about what I should have done and what I did wrong. Pretty transparent. And the hope is that people can learn from my mistakes. I think transparent is and vulnerable is a superpower. In my opinion, yeah. if leaders can be like that, I think that is a superpower. So kudos to you for being brave and doing that as well. It's, I'm not going to lie. It's been scary. It's been scary when you throw yourself out there. But this sounds really crazy, but if I can help one, two, three people, then it's worth it. Doesn't sound and, crazy. And I'm sure you have gotten notes with my speaking engagements or even with folks. I'll get somebody that will send me an email. Or they'll send me a direct message on Facebook, or they'll actually mail me. And I have a folder with lots of these in it. And it's like a little piece of paper, handwritten note, thanking me for being passionate and caring. And I treasure those. I treasure those because it actually makes what I went through worth it. It wasn't a waste of time or a waste of my life. It was. There was actually a meaning behind it and a purpose and something good can come from it. So I keep reminding myself about that. When I think of the doubters, I'm going, it doesn't matter. Totally. I just have to keep pushing forward. And I hope I don't sound crazy on that. 
No, I got the exact same kind of folder as well. And I think it's just a, some of those down days you have. What an opportunity to open up that folder and just go, ah, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing now. Kind of gives you a little bit of, yeah, well, for sure. Yeah, it's powerful. It's amazing how somebody's words handwritten can really just change your perspective. And this is why I treasure it. Because that person took the time to write on a piece of paper, put it in an envelope and mail it to me. They wanted me to know how they felt. Yep. That is, that's a treasure. For sure. That's a For treasure. Sure. That's a, that's a gift. They've given you a part of themselves. It's a gift in it. And it does. It really does. When, before my last, I wrote my last book, Coffee Cup for Leadership, I was really struggling on some, I knew I had to focus in on something. And then I came across my folder. I went, oh, I'll go through it. And I started reading them and it just hang off. Okay. I got focused and I actually knew what I had to do. And I worked on that book day and night. So yeah, it helps really. Oh. And it goes back to your original comment about hope. It gives you hope, right? When you look at those, you're like, that's hope it, it right was. there. Yeah. And you know what I do now when I do my seminars? So in, in my laptop bag, I have these little cards made up. And if there's anybody in the class been doing it enough that I'm not an expert on this, but you can tell when somebody's just having a bad day or they're just not there engaged, or if they came up and had a few words with me, I'll write them a note and I'll give it to them. And my hope is the words I put on this note that they'll be able to go back and read it one day and use it as a motivator. Totally. Love it. These people that have taken the time to do that for me have taught me a valuable lesson in life. Small things can make a big difference. Love it. So what would be your message to fire chiefs or even just senior firefighters that have been around for a long time that are holding on for that 25, 30, 35, 40, 45 year pin medal? What's your thoughts on that? Is that... It's a great goal. Cool. I think if I had any advice to give anybody on that question to address that is, I think we really have to take care of ourselves. And the constant theme that I tell people is to surround yourself with a circle of friends. I call the circle support and it's five, maybe six maximum people that you can trust, people that will know you, people that can challenge you people that you can be open and transparent with. And the truth is I don't have five or six. I've got less than that because it takes a lot for us. And maybe it's a man thing. I don't know. It takes a lot for us to be open and vulnerable with people. So if I'm going to be open and vulnerable with a few individuals that I know, it's because I've let them in and I trust what they say. So if I say, this is where I'm struggling and they give me some advice. I trust them on their advice. I'm actually going to listen. And I don't know if enough people do that in our profession. I really don't. We can have a lot of friends, but one thing that I've learned in my life, and I know others have as well that have been gone through challenges is you think you have a lot of friends. When you start going through things, all those people that you thought that you can count on magically disappear. 
And so this, this circle support that I tell people, it's, it's intentional. It's you have to go and do it. You have to work on these relationships and build them and make them strong. So where I'm going with and trying to address, you said is really believe this. I could be off. I don't have any research. I just have conversations I have with people. Is I think the fire service, it can really eat us up and spit us out. And whether that's on all the, for different people, for different reasons, on what, what we do in a profession, political pressure, the shift work, the family pressure, life in general, boy, man, 25, 30 years in this gig, that's a long time. It goes by fast, but it's a long time. That's a lot of, for lack of a better word, it's a lot of stress and a lot of trauma that people are exposed to. And it's very encouraging that there's a lot, lot more emphasis on mental health aspect in the profession, not only the fire, but police, EMS, doctors, nurses, anybody in emergency services that's dealing with things that we deal with, life and death situations. So it's encouraging that, that the world has come to a point that we're starting to address this. But I look back now and man, 25 years, it seems so long. That's a lot of wear and tear. And on. I always use an analogy that it sounds crazy, but when I was growing up as a car guy, I still love cars. I still love the performance cars. So I always use this analogy of an engine. That's a lot of wear and tear in an engine, 25 to 30 years. It's going to get tired. And it get tired. Probably have to do a couple engine jobs and ring jobs and bearings in there. So now we have to take care of ourselves. We really do. And I know this term is out there a lot. And I'm not a big fan of it, but it's true. It's true. It, when we say it's okay to not be okay. So it is okay to not be okay. It really is because the profession can really be tough on you. It can really be tough on you. And I've never had that question asked. And when you said 25, 30 years, I'm going, how the heck did I last two years? I don't know. And I wanted 35. My goal is 35. And there was no way it was going to happen. There was absolutely no way that was going Yeah, I think from my experience seeing other fire chiefs and colleagues from across North America is I'm at 34, I got to get that 35, I got to get that 35, and still not considering their, their own welfare. Their 35 is more, more important to them than their welfare. And I've just seen too many fire chiefs and senior firefighters get cancer, pass away the same year that they retire, which is, yeah. which is sad. It is sad. It is. And, and as crazy as it sounds, trying to grasp the question because it's such a simple question. But I'm looking back at a lot of things and I'm going, do we really want firefighters and chief officers and fire chiefs to be in this gig for 25? I don't know the answer to that yet. But on the right. other hand, I can say that I can eat a lot more time with my my paid on call firefighters because the dynamics are different there there's still politics right there's still you got to please the public i mean that that's never going to go away but the dynamics are different so am i energized can i do a lot more absolutely i'm passionate i love going out there i'm in my happy place but it's because the people yeah it's such a tough question so do we put a time limit on it? The answer is probably no. 
but should we make sure that we're taking care of our emotional, our mental, and our spiritual self? The answer is absolutely yes, 100%. We need to. Because from my experience, when I was mentally exhausted, I became emotionally exhausted. And I think, and it sounds crazy, I think my spirit broke. I think it was broken. Don't sound it, crazy it, at all. It was terrifying. It was, I've said this before to other people. I know I said it earlier on. It was a dark place. It really was a dark place for me. And I know it doesn't describe it, honestly. It doesn't describe it how it really was. But for me, it was very dark. It was, it was not a happy place to be. The only good out of that is for me being able to come through that process and want to help others not go through that. That was my takeaway from it because I don't want anyone else to go through that. It's too painful. It's too painful. It's lonely. It's dark. It's isolated. And it didn't matter if I was surrounded by family and friends. I felt alone. I felt alone. I felt emotionally and mentally and spiritually disconnected. It's a key and word, alone. A hundred percent. It was, yeah, it was scary. It was scary. And once again, going back to this podcast, that's to make that community so you're not alone. That's the goal is to build the BTH community so you don't feel alone. So you can feel like I am normal. I'm a human being. Everyone and, reacts and to it differently, but everyone reacts to stress. Nobody's superhuman. We're just a human. And I, what you just said really rings true with me because as soon as you said that, bang, we've got a an image in my mind at an MBA was more fatalities and everybody deals with things different. And this one car accident, there was a four-year-old girl that was killed in this car accident that we went to and her friends and the driver of the other vehicle. And it was horrific. I had a four-year-old daughter at home at the time. And that call really messed me up for a couple of weeks really messed me up for a couple of weeks. And I remember, and I don't think it had the same impact with the other guys that were there at the call. But for me, there was that connection. There was that little girl, that four-year-old. And for two weeks, honestly, I think I lost part of my life because it was just, it was so horrific for me going to this, knowing that the family was basically wiped out. and. I was lucky enough to come home to a little four-year-old that ran and said, daddy, when I came to the door. So it was, it just, it was emotionally, it was mentally hard to digest. And for two weeks I struggled and I, I'll never forget this. I was at a restaurant and I was so desperate. I was so desperate for help. I didn't know how to ask for it. And I said to the guys having breakfast with, who was not the profession, the fire service at all. And I said to him, I said, I'm really hurting right now. I had a really bad call. I said, I don't think you'll understand this. I described what I went through. Didn't get into a lot of details, but I did mention the, the little girl and me coming home and all that. And he looks at me and I could see tears building up in his eyes. And he described a traumatic event where he would, that he witnessed where somebody lost their life. He says, a little bit different less, but I saw somebody lose their life in front of my eyes. And so there was that connection and it was all I could do to not start crying in this restaurant 
because I knew, and I'm fighting this, right? And I knew that if I started to cry in this restaurant, I would get into the tears and everything and it'd be uncontrollable. And I'm going, I don't want to embarrass myself. I was struggling, man. My eyes are watering up. And at that time, that was the part where I realized that I was human. Sounds crazy. That these things are going to impact us. They are. And uh, so that was weird. You used that term human. And then I get this flashback of that tragic event. But we are. It's a demonstration of being human. You were being human to another human who probably wouldn't have opened up, probably wouldn't have said anything if you didn't open that channel of communication up with them. So once again, the power of communication and being vulnerable, right? Things are just racing through my head right now, man. (laughs) Everybody knows Chief Karplak as a leadership guru across North America, writing lots of books about it. I think myself, as well as the listeners, would love to know what your take on leadership is and what your North Star is when it regards to leadership. Well, I'll tell you, my last book, Coffee Cup Leadership, was the one where I just went, it doesn't matter what people think, I'm going to write what I think needs to be on paper. And it's simple. I've overcomplicated it for years. It's about relationships. That's what leadership is about showing people that you are involved with or work with that you care and it's okay. The thing I fell into the, you know, the mindset years ago that if you show them that you care, you're showing a little bit of weakness or you're getting too close. And I'm not saying you got to have everybody over to your house at Christmas and celebrate all these annual holidays or whatever, but. You should care enough about people when they're hurting. You should care and say, I know it was your daughter's birthday this weekend. How did it go? Little things like that. Text people if they've had surgery. Let them know you're thinking about them. Sending them a note. Letting the people that you work with know that you care is, to me, right now, probably the number one thing that I would tell people. It's about building the relationships. Because... If I'm going to work with somebody and I know that they care for me, the research is very clear. I'm going to do a lot more. I will do a lot more for that organization. My boss cares for me. He sincerely cares about my well-being. He asks. He's invested in me. It's natural. I'm going to do more work. And I, and I don't want people to think that when I say, oh, there's the motive, more productivity. No, it just naturally comes. It's the right thing to do. It really is the right thing to start caring about the people that you work with. And as a fire chief, it can be hard. It can be hard because you're in this big department. How are you supposed to care for every person? It's You're not going to know them all in the large urban departments. It just, you won't. But you have to care about those that are around you, that work with you. And there'll be po- nothing but positive spinoffs from that. Did you see a change in your own leadership style from the first day you put on the five bugles to today? Has anything changed in your regard? Oh, totally. Totally. If if there was magic dust and you said, what would you change? If we put you back in there, would you change? Oh, 100%. 100%. I change a lot of things. What would be one key thing? Be more patient with people when they make mistakes. That sounds really crazy. One of my faults was if I have high expectations of myself, I know back then I had high expectations of everybody else. That's flawed thinking. You can have high expectations of people. 
but not everyone is going to be a top performer. They're just not everyone's going to want to take on that leadership role. They're not. Some are going to be comfortable just being in their lane, their group. That's okay. That's absolutely 100% okay. So there's a lot that I would, a lot that I would change without a doubt. And there's some things I would have, I would remain the same, but my leadership style absolutely would be different. Absolutely would be different. So I think maybe I learned some tough lessons too late in the game. You know, got old and became wiser. I don't know what the answer is to that, but we all adapt and change. Our I think we're fast change too. Yeah. Totally. We have to, Yeah, I think we have to, because I don't want to be the person that if we're going to, if you ask me that question and, I, and if, if I said I wouldn't change a thing, I think then that, that I have a closed mindset. I think that, that really I would be wasting people's time. We evolve. We evolve, and I'm always looking for these lessons learned, right? Every day is a journey in leadership for me on what can I learn. And sometimes learning is what not to do. Oops, that didn't work out good. No, that's all part of the learning process, right? Some of the best lessons. So it is. I think looking back at it is there's been some tough lessons. I'm going, wow, why did I fight that battle? It meant nothing. The thing that came out of that was a lot of stress and heartache. And so I use this term. Pick the hills you want to die on. Be a lot of those hills that we think are really worth climbing and fighting for, they're just, they're not. If Maybe you had to look at it, it's probably all comes back to the people. Take care of the people. Yeah. Respect the people. And you won't have all those little small hills that you have to think you have to die on. Exactly. It'll be a prairie land. Yeah. I like my mountains, man. I know I live in the prairies. I love the mountains. Yeah, my style would definitely change. And I think that's a good thing. Good oh, 100%. 100%. I think we all have to adapt, evolve, change, grow. I think that's key to leadership, 100%. So in your book, you talk about digging into self. I think that's your chapter number one, self-awareness. So what would be a summary of what that means? Because I think that's a pretty important topic to go into self-care, but it's also like self-awareness, who you are as a person. That's who, exactly what it is. Yeah. It's what are your values? What's important to you? Where do you want to grow? So when I say that, I'll say me, I'll use me as an example. I knew that, and I'm not lying when I said this, or when I say this is I say it in, in certain seminars when people need to hear it. I sit in front of the mirror. This is on the end days of my career. I sit in front of the mirror and this is absolutely the gospel truth. I looked at that person in the mirror and I went, I don't even know who you are anymore. I didn't like that. I didn't like that. So from that 18 months to two years to starting to feel good about myself. And once that process clicked in my brain, when I say self-awareness, it's about growth. It's about what do I believe in? What's important to me? What are my values? What are some things I'm just not going to change on? And what are some of my weaknesses that I have to work on? So, man, I'm 60 years old. I feel like I'm still learning and growing every day. Every day I'm learning and growing and become a better person. And if I'm more aware of who I am as a person, I believe this isn't my lane, but I'm just going for me, is if I become a better person, I'm going to become a better leader. I'm going to become a better boss. And it'll be nothing but positive things from it. So if I know that I need to work on 
a mindset, an open mindset of being more accepting of other people's views, let's say, that's a good thing, then I need to work on that. So that's what I mean by self being self-aware, understanding who I am, what my weaknesses are, and you know, what my strengths are, but I'm, I always focus on the weaknesses, right? Whether that's right or wrong, trying to minimize them, but also on another hand, try to build upon my strengths too. I think it's a key chapter in your book because in my world of coaching now, values, goals, ambitions, strengths, weaknesses, those are like the key foundations to supporting somebody through a growth in their coaching journey. And so when I saw that and I read it, I was like, wow, that's what we do as coaches. We, we support people, people come in and majority of the people have no clue it, with clarity what their goals are, what their values are in life, what they stand for. And coaching allows you to sit there and really think about it and dive deep in it. Because most of the time, if you asked most people what their values are, they're going to struggle with come up some good quality versus the generic responses. Yeah. Good quality responses. So I thought that was a pretty powerful chapter that really resonated with me. As I've never asked you this, but did you ever, did you read the chapter on the emotional energy? I did. Yes. Please share. I read your book and I'm going, I didn't even know how to label it. This is your lane. It falls under your realm, but that, that emotional component, that emotional energy component is so important. So important. And I don't even know if people put a lot of thought into that, let alone firefighters. Who talks about emotions? I know. Almost nobody talks about them, right? And honestly, when I started 19, oh my goodness. Oh man, there's no way. It'd be laughable if you actually thought you're going to talk what your feelings were at the coffee table. I wasn't going to. And I don't even know if it happens today. I, I don't. But I think the profession has come a long way. We have a long way to go, but I think we're headed in the right direction. I'd like to believe we're headed in the right direction. That goes back to the comment about evolution, right? I think the fire service, as well as its leaders and members are evolving. And I can see sooner or later, we're going to be sitting around the coffee table and talking about emotions, not being, I like to say, not being emotional, just talking about emotions. Every human has emotions. So if you don't have emotions, there's something wrong. So we all have emotions. We're all human. Why are we hiding them? Share this story with you. And I'm hesitant. Because if he, I'm not going to mention any names, but as a chief, I respect. So we were at a conference, it was CAFC conference in Victoria. Conference is going good. And one of the things I really value is I mentioned before, I'm in different, I'd like to try different things, right? We went and bought some awesome cigars at this cigar place. And when I get a cigar, I wanted to have a taste of chocolate. I'll spend whatever money it is so I can get the cigar and smoke this one cigar and taste the chocolate and smell it. And he got his cigar and we were sitting out. We're looking at the Marina in Victoria. Beautiful, beautiful place. 10 o'clock at night, we're sitting there smoking our cigars and we started talking and he started to get choked up and he was doing everything he could to hide his tears because he was going through, he was just reflecting on some of his calls that he attended as a firefighter that he hadn't intended in years, but they'd come to the surface. And why I bring this story up is I was, I felt so honored that he would trust me with that 
that he trusted me enough to be transparent and express his feelings and show tears. There, there was strength in that. And th there was a bond that, that that's, I will never forget. I, I, and we just sat and talked, we just sat and talked and he needed it. And I was just the right person at the right time, but being able for him to trust me and share those thoughts was significant. And if we get to that point where we can feel comfortable doing that with our peers and not being judged negatively, I think that's going to be a whole new ball game. That'll be a game changer. Yeah. I think what you demonstrated was presence. You were present with him and whatever you were given off to him energy wise, he was knowing that you were a safe person to talk to. And I think that's key in leadership is to be that safe person that people can talk to. I never looked at it that way, but that makes sense. And that's the, that was a gift. That was a gift. Yeah. And you can be with somebody at that point when they trust you enough, especially God, we always, we don't pry. We're the tough guys, right? We're this, we're that. We got to have our acts together. We can't show the weakness. And you can be that open and trusting with somebody that you can shed tears in front of and just talk about what's hurting you. That's huge. That is huge. Well, let's start building. I learned, I learned a valuable lesson from that. I think. I call myself this teddy bear. It, it doesn't take much to get me choked up now. And I think it's because I've held back of that for so long that now I just go, man, this is emotional. Okay, I'm going to let the tears flow. <laughs> yeah. Acceptance. Because yeah. it really, know. if you hold those emotions in, they are toxic. They are toxic to hold in. Yeah. As much as we don't want to be emotional, like I said, holding in anger, frustration, sadness, those are toxic emotions that we don't let those out somehow, somewhere, sometime, it's going to be toxic. I agree with you on that. I agree with you on that. Yeah. Well, I hope I answered your question about what would be the focus on yeah. leaders. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. For your time in the fire service, anything you can see that in chiefs that are struggling in their leadership, what are maybe some of the key attributes that you see in chiefs that are struggling to be a good leader? What's missing? I've seen a lot of chiefs struggle. And here's the thing. I hope I make sense when I say this. It's body language. So let's say I do a seminar somewhere. It's pretty easy to pick up on the people that are going through some challenges. I don't know. I can pick up on these little hints in their body language. It comes out of them. And the same thing with people that that are emotionally engaged and positive and all that, that comes out of them too. Yeah. So some of the chiefs I've seen struggle and I'm only making the assumption here because I really haven't taken the time at a seminar to go up and say, Hey, are you struggling? That'd be pretty, that's a tough one. Not knowing somebody, right? Sure. But the chiefs I know that have gone through struggles is it's, uh, it's a lot, of, it's a lot of the pressure, a lot of the pressure. And again, not to throw blame on people that are in the council positions or whatever, but a lot of people really don't know. They get elected to city council. They really don't know what it takes to be in the profession. They may know a firefighter and oh yeah, they jump on the truck and go and it's a dangerous job. There's a lot more to it than that. A lot more to it than that. And when you start getting up into that, those different chief officer levels, and especially the fire chief to address the fire chief question, is there's all kinds of pressures, all kinds of pressures. And what I'm seeing now, I'm like consulting 
is it's even in that paid on call sector where a lot of communities will have a paid chief, but paid on call firefighters. A lot of those paid fire chiefs in those departments, they're stressed. They're stressed to the max because there's that expectation. So you got to keep the dollars down. Still got to run that department. You still have to replace the equipment. You have all these unexpected things break in our profession. And you got to come up with the answers. And the sad part of this, and it's become a very common topic in the consulting world, is the cost of fire trucks today. The cost of equipment that's gone through the roof is crazy. Absolutely crazy. So you're having fire chiefs that are delivering these bad messages to their councils and councils are frustrated with the chief. They does have the answers and chiefs are being honest. <laughs> yep. It's, it costs a lot of money to run that machine. So it's wearing on them. It's wearing on them. And I don't know if that's going to get better. I'll be honest with you. I don't know if that's going to get better. This is a term I use. Ride that wave as much as you can. Enjoy it because it's not going to happen forever, but enjoy it while it's there because it just doesn't seem like the norm right now. And I don't know what your experience is, but it just doesn't seem like the norm right now. It's just so much pressures on municipalities right now that some chiefs are being asked to work miracles with their budget and you throw in a few HR issues in there and it takes us total. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. There's pressure from downstairs, from the firefighters, pressure from above, from CEO to the city manager to the public. There's pressure 365 around a fire chief for sure. There is. Yeah. And I remember one one time an officer respected said, I turn it off when I leave the fire hall. And I actually believed him. Now I would call him out and say, no, you don't. You've been lying the whole time. You can't turn this off. When you're at that level, you can't. It's next to impossible to turn it off when you leave the fire station at five o'clock. How do you turn it off? I don't know how. There's no off button for, you don't know when the next bad call is going to come in. There's so many different dynamics at that chief level today. And I have run into this. And again, I'm going to put on my consulting hat. As a lot of other department heads don't understand what it does either. And that, that, that's not minimizing it. It's going, well, you won't understand it because you're not in the profession. You're not taking these people and producing products. You're not taking the firefighters and saying, yeah, we're going to do X, Y, Z this month. Yes, you may on some, may have some goals on inspections and all that, but they're dealing with situations where they're putting their life risk to go in to save somebody or rescue somebody in whatever situation, automotives, structure fires, medical call. They're going into situations all the time that no two calls are alike. That takes its toll. Takes its toll. So that aren't in the profession of other department heads, they're not going to understand. They won't. They can't. And it doesn't mean that they're bad people. They're just not exposed to it. So I, the reason I brought up that example is the wear and tear. It's, it becomes a wear and tear on chiefs because a lot of chiefs also get tired and worn out worrying about their people Yes, and not having the tools to help their people, having to fight for money to get 
proper gear on them, having to fight for silly things, get the air conditioning fixed in the fire hall, silly things like that will make it better for the people at work. So that, that wears on the sure. chief it does yeah. because they care. Yeah. You can only fight so long, right? Before your fire is extinguished and your passion starts to dwindle. For me, it was, you can only fight so long and then you go, it's done. White flag. It's done. And not to be a downer again, but for me, it was the isolation. And then when I knew that I was done mentally, emotionally, it was like a light switch. There was no slowly. I think it built, well, it did build up over time. But then when it happened, it was just like done. Huh. And nice. there was no turning back from that after. There wasn't. You, you can't get better in the environment that you're in that broke you. It just, it can't happen. Yep. So there was no way I could get better. No way. And again, at several times, a year and a half to two years to actually start feeling good about myself again. That's crazy, man. It's crazy. But that's, that was the reality for me. Yeah. Confidence is definitely part of burnout. It's like the third phase of burnout is lack of confidence. And I tell people that I was more confident 10 years ago than I was five years ago, which is bizarre to even hear myself say that when I was an assistant chief or a captain, I was way more confident than I was as the fire chief, which is just sounds strange. I've never heard it. I've never heard it said that way, but that complete sense. And when you get into that burnout phase and that confidence is gone, when you don't have confidence, especially at the chief level, when you don't have confidence in yourself, mm -hmm. you're wasting everybody's time. It's an uphill battle. It is. It is. Mm -hmm. And you can't hide that. People will see it. Yep. People will see it. I don't know. This is probably crazy. I don't know this, but I guarantee you people saw me crashing and burning before I even realized what was going on. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. They, they would have saw the change in behavior, the change in attitude, the change in everything. And they're probably going, oh, he's going to crash and burn. Well, they're right. Well, they're right. I wish yeah. somebody would have said something though. Yeah. But once okay, again, no. yeah. once again, open up that communication. Make that okay to say that to the fire chief, to the officer, to the firefighter. Oh, that's true too. Right. Chief, in closing, what would be one key nugget that you just want our audience to hear today that will make the fire service a little bit better, will make our leaders a little bit better? What's what your final nugget to share? Wow. So my bad habit is this. I have these gaps because I'm thinking how to word it. So what I'm trying to process right now is how to word it properly. So people go, yes. And I like to keep things simple. I think if I have a nugget to share. And when I say nugget, I want to tell you, I did gold panhandling for gold up in Dawson city and we're going through all that. And it's quite, the, it takes a while. And then I found a nugget, but I was disappointed because they actually planted it oh. and wanted it back after. Oh no. The nugget was in there. Yeah. Is I think from this is really, we need to be more aware. And we need to make our own emotional, spiritual, and mental health a priority. Because if one of those three is injured or broken and the attention isn't put back into making it better, let's say my spiritual self. And when I say spiritual self, for everybody, it's different, right? Is it's going to have a spillover effect. So I always have that mental, emotional, and spiritual component. I'm always thinking of that. 
But we really do have to take care of ourselves. The fire service, whether it's career or paid on call, or volunteer, some there's still some all volunteer departments out there. Not a lot, but they still exist. It's going to take its toll. It's going to take its toll. It's just the nature of the beast. It's a profession we're in. That's what it is. And we need to, because I keep looking back of what I didn't do, what I didn't do. And so I have this platform. You asked me the question that the platform is you're going to broadcast this. And, I, and we really do have to start taking care of ourselves, those three aspects. And I think if we do that, we're going to start breaking new ground. If we're going to start talking about this more. And I actually do look forward to the time when that you brought up that we can sit in a room, go out for beer at a conference because the networking, that's the best part of conference. Talk about emotions. You don't have to be in that emotional state. Talk about the importance of our emotions and how they are so vital to us as human beings and us in this profession that we have for years and years and years would never talk about. Boy, that would be a good conversation. I'd like to be a part of that. Sure would be. I'd like to be a part of that. You say the the calls are never going to change. We're always going to have those trauma calls. We're always going to have those house fires, those worst days of other people in our community. And the only way that we can survive and moving forward is to be a little bit more resilient. So when those times do come, we don't burn out. We don't get traumatic injuries. We can bounce back a little bit better than we did before. And like how you worded that. That is key. I want people to focus on what you just said. Bounce back better because we are going to get hurt. We are going to be exposed to that trauma. It's going to hurt us. There's going to be things that we're going to see that we can't process. But if we're prepared, if we're more resilient, we talked about this beforehand, we can come out of that a lot quicker. And I think that's the key, because if we think that being more resilient and more prepared and talk about this is going to go, oh, yeah, I can face anything. No, we're going to set ourselves to failure. Yeah, for we're sure. human beings. We're, we're going to be bruised. We're going to be hurt. But I like how you worded that. I'm going to run with that. I really like that. We can come back quicker, bounce back yeah. quicker. And better each time. And, I think. And better. And, and, yeah. Exactly. So learning from our lessons, better. learning from our mistakes. Exactly. Learning from our wins, just getting back a little bit better. That's just going to make us more resilient. And like you say, we're always going to see those trauma calls. They're always going to hurt us, but our recovery and, and time is going to be shorter. Yeah. That's the journey, right? That's the journey. It's yeah. the journey in our self-growth. But the journey is also what you just said. We're always going to see those calls. That's the gig we're in. Yep. That's what we signed up for. Those aren't going to go away. Just, it's not going to happen. So. That's that journey that we're all on. And yeah, man, I'm telling you, tell you what, AJ, when, when we're all talking about the emotions at a conference, I went in on that table. So you <laughs> saved me a chair next to you. Cause I think that would be awesome that you get a whole bunch of chief officers talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. Be good. The day will come. I hope so. I yeah. hope so. Chief, it's been an honor to have you on the show. Definitely. I appreciate your candid stories and your vulnerability and your leadership nuggets that you shared with the audience. How can people learn more about Chief Carpluck? Where can they find you? Where can they connect with you? Oh boy, this is where I really am poor. I'm poor in marketing myself. I'm really not comfortable talking about myself. Coffee cup leadership, 
and coffee cup leadership roles on Amazon. Purpose-filled leadership is on Amazon. They can go to follow me, which just started coffee cup leadership on Facebook. So it's focusing on really the book and the seminar. And I did that because I suck marketing. I don't know how else to put it, but I also did it to get more speaking engagements because I really want to get that message out about emotional intelligence and talking about our emotions, talking about some of the rules I have in those books. So that's why I really left my comfort zone. You'll see one of the rules in there is believe in your comfort zones. I left my comfort zone on marketing. I don't want to, it's really new to me. Try to learn about it, but Amazon or go to coffee cup leadership and DM me and we'll touch base. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Chief. It's been an honor chatting today and I really appreciate your wisdom and your wise words that you shared with everyone today. So thank you. Thank you. And uh, I really appreciate the opportunity. And the goal here is just to help others. That's what it's about. Amen. Crossing my fingers and unhoping. And, but I want to say this, and, and I hope that you leave this on. I don't want you to edit it. I really do appreciate you and what you're doing. Your book's amazing. It's the path that you're on right now and the lane that you're taking is so needed. It's, I wish you all the best. Thank you. And I just appreciate that you have been brave enough in your journey to do that and open yourself up because you open yourself up as being vulnerable to taking your coaching and what you're doing. I just wish you all the best, man, because I know that it's needed out there and with the talks that I've had with you already and knowing you when we're both career chiefs, I just know that your heart is so big and so genuine. So I thank you for what you're doing and I'm excited for you. So I wanted to thank you for that. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. You're welcome. All right, everyone. Bye. Yeah, it's been a great show. Stay well. Okay. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to Beneath the Helmet. We hope that this podcast has provided you with valuable insights into the world of firefighters' health and wellness. Remember, caring for your physical, mental, and spiritual well-being is crucial to achieving optimal performance. Join us next time on Beneath the Helmet for more inspiring conversations. Until then, stay well.